Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Hey, welcome to Red Rum Blonde, and welcome to the 50th episode. It's really hard to believe that this is the 50th. It feels like yesterday I just did the very first one. And I think the podcast has come a long way. And so thank you to everyone for bearing with me during this learning curve. Amazingly, the podcast is also closing in on 100,000 listens. And it's not quite there. It's about at 87,000. I mean, it could be more, but I don't understand the iTunes metrics, so I don't count them. I just want to thank everyone for bearing with me. You absolutely rock. Whether you listen to all the episodes or whether you're a new listener, I appreciate every single listen. There's an iconic photograph of actresses Jane Mansfield and Sophia Loren. I'm sure you know it. They're sitting together at a table, and Jane is looking right towards the camera. She's smiling broadly, and her eyes are just sparkling. And Sophia is side-eyeing Jane. She's specifically looking right towards her ample deep breasts that are about to spill right out of her dress. Today, we would call it a wardrobe malfunction. And I think that picture sums up the world's view of Jane Mansfield. In her heyday, she kept the press on their toes with her various publicity stunts. Her beauty was astounding, and you could never quite be sure what she was going to do next. 
other women thought she must have had it all because of her great looks. You know, with a face and a body like that, surely she had it all. Doors that don't open for the rest of us would be open for her. We all struggle to achieve that perfect body, amazing hair, the flawless face. So to see a woman with all of that seems almost unfair to the rest of us. And with that beauty must also come love and money, right? But that isn't always the case. And it most certainly wasn't with this week's subject. At the end of her life, in addition to a very tumultuous love life, her stardom began to fade. Her final years were marred by violent events and some say a curse by the founder of the Church of Satan. The press started to turn on her and judge her, almost like it seems that Sophia Loren is judging her in that photograph. Her death was surrounded by mystery and misconceptions, like the fact that she was beheaded. So this week, I'm going to discuss the death of bombshell Jane Mansfield. In 1967, Jane, three of her kids, her attorney, boyfriend, and their driver were in a car that crashed at a very high speed into the back of a tractor trailer near New Orleans. Thus, the urban legend began of Jane being beheaded. Days after her death, rumors of her involvement with the Church of Satan began floating around as the cause of her death. So was there any truth to these rumors? So before we jump into all this, let me first welcome the newest Red Rum Blonde group members. So I want to welcome Mandy, Jennifer, Shauna, Dea, and Jessalyn. The Red Rum Blonde Facebook group is just one of the ways you can interact with me on social media. Look for the podcast on Twitter and Instagram too, or you can email me at redrumblonde at gmail.com. So I'm totally going to butcher this name, but let me give it a try. If you look closely at my logo by artist Mikhail Valrov, (laughs) I'm sorry, he even told me how to pronounce his name and I said I'm probably going to butcher it and I'm sure I did, so sorry. But you may recognize the hair because that is in fact Jane Mansfield's hair. And it's really funny because I asked him to come up with whatever he wanted because I was just thrilled that he agreed to design something for me. So when I saw the finished product, I was pretty blown away. I've been a fan of Jane's for years. And all the while, I've been trying to emulate that amazing hair of hers. So I love that logo. I mean, check out his website. Check out MeltdownSkates.com which he just started not too long ago for some artwork that will totally blow you away. He's amazing, and I'm sorry I can't say his name right. So if you're not familiar with Jane Mansfield, I'm going to give you some info on her background, as well as those last years of her life that were so rife with controversy. It's going to be a really wild story of sex, violence, and a little dash of Satanism. But I'm very determined to separate fact from fiction, and I want to dispel a lot of those nasty rumors. So unlike others, I'm going to speak of her truthfully and respectfully, because I think she deserves that. Jane was born Vera Jane Palmer on April 19, 1933, in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. And when Jane was young, her family moved to Phillipsburg, New Jersey, where her father, Herbert, was an attorney. And sadly, in 1936, Herbert died from a heart attack. 
Her mother, Vera, remarried in 1939, and the family then relocated to Dallas, Texas. And Jane was interested in all different kinds of entertainment. She took lessons in violin, piano, viola, and ballroom dancing, just to name a few. In fact, when she was seven, she liked to stand in her driveway and play the violin, performing impromptu concerts. When she was just 17 years old, she married boyfriend Paul Mansfield on May 6, 1950. So nowadays, that seems pretty young. But back in that time, women were expected to become wives and mothers right after high school. And that's exactly what Jane did. And their daughter, Jane Marie, was born just six months later. But shockingly, Jane Marie wasn't Paul's daughter. Jane had attended a party and was drinking what she thought was lemonade. The drink was actually vodka Collins. And since it was a hot night, she had quite a few. She was barely able to recall that night, but she did remember waking up in a boy's car and being raped. So when her period didn't come, she knew she was pregnant. She said she knew she had to find a husband, and she picked Paul because he was the best-looking boy in school. Kind of provides a heartbreaking insight into a lot of her future actions. Jane Mansfield wasn't just your average 17-year-old. She reportedly had a genius IQ of 163. Just take that in, 163. And her measurements were 40, 21, 36. So she was well beyond her years and mind and body. And she most certainly wasn't the dumb blonde that her persona was portrayed as later on in life. And at this point in her life, she was just a genius brunette. Jane always had her eye on the spotlight. So she and Paul enrolled in acting classes together at Southern Methodist University. And when little Jane Marie was just one year old, Jane moved to Los Angeles to go to summer classes at UCLA. While there, she entered the Miss California contest. But Paul found out, and he wasn't too happy, forcing her to resign. After that, she moved with Paul to Austin, Texas to study drama at the University of Texas at Austin. Jane entered and won a lot of beauty contests around that time, just a few were Miss Photo Flash, Miss Fire Prevention Week, and Miss Magnesium Lamp. She, however, did not want to be Miss Roquefort Cheese or Miss Prime Rib. To make ends meet, she did a lot of odd jobs. You know, everything from being a receptionist to nude modeling to selling books door to door. And it was also around this time that she joined a theater group called The Curtain Club. One of its most famous members was actor Rip Torn. Jane and Paul did a lot of local theater productions together around that time. Jane moved back to Dallas in 1953, where she was a student of Barack Lumet. He was the father of famed director Sidney Lumet. And he doted on Mansfield and Rip Torn. They were two of his favorite students. And Lumet helped Jane get her very first screen test at Paramount just a year later. And Dallas could not contain Jane. So she and Paul moved the family to Los Angeles. And Paul was a somewhat reluctant participant in his wife's desire for success. He was supposedly not happy with her pursuit of acting, but he did what he could to make her happy in life. 
Paul took a small job at a newspaper to get an apartment in Van Nuys. And in that apartment, there were Jane, Paul, Jane Marie, a Great Dane, three cats, a rabbit, two chihuahuas, and a pink poodle. Once again, she did a variety of odd jobs to make a living. And one of them was modeling for the Blue Book Modeling Agency. You may have heard of them. I think they were the first agency to sign Marilyn Monroe. The funny thing was that some people worried about her large breasts keeping her from getting work. It did keep her from being taken seriously at screen tests. She went before casting director Milton Lewis with a monologue from Joan of Arc, and he just looked at her and said she was wasting her, quote, obvious talents, and he urged her to instead try out for the seven-year itch. And it was after this that Jane decided to become a blonde. Although she didn't get the role that she was after, that move would start her on the road to sex symbol status. In 1955, Jane became Playboy's Playmate of the Month, and that issue was what put her on the map. In addition, she posed for the annual Playboy calendar, and both were wildly successful. But Paul wasn't comfortable with his wife's ambitions. Jane had left their daughter with her mother's parents to pursue her acting career, and there seems to be a lot of issues of jealousy, so they ended their marriage. And it wasn't an amicable split. Jane filed for divorce in California, and Paul filed in Texas while trying to get custody of their daughter. His attempts failed, and the divorce stretched on for years before being finalized on January 8, 1958. And during the years and the tumultuous separation, Jane's acting career was really gearing up. There were many bit roles in films such as Hell on Fresco Bay with Jack Webb and Illegal with Edward G. Robinson. And as much as she wanted to play these really serious roles, it was a comedic turn that would cement her image as that sexy blonde. Her role in the play will success spoil Rock Hunter. So while still playing that role on stage, she took a film role in The Girl Can't Help It in 1956. And that was a huge hit becoming one of the year's biggest films. Fox Pictures started promoting her as Marilyn Monroe king-sized. Monroe was one of the biggest film sirens at that time, having starred in films like Niagara, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and The Seven-Year Itch. However, Marilyn wasn't too cooperative with the studios, prompting them to try to find imitations And this really helped Jane's rise to stardom, as well as others like Mamie Van Dorn and Diana Doors. There were a slew of blonde bombshells in Hollywood after that. So it was around this time that I think Jane met the true love of her life at the Latin Quarter nightclub in New York City. Mickey Hargitay was an actor and a bodybuilder. The Hungarian Mr. Universe winner was in New York performing in Mae West's Broadway show. But West was not a fan of Jane's, and she let Mickey know. She, in fact, told him he needed to make a decision between performing for her show or being with Jane. But Mickey had fallen for the upcoming blonde show, and that created a rift with West. He ended up proposing to Jane on November 6, 1957, with a 10-carat diamond ring. 
The two had to postpone their marriage until her divorce was finalized, though. As soon as it was, they rushed to the Wayfarer's Chapel in Rancho Palo Verdes, California. The bride wore a pink gown. And if you don't know, pink was Jane's favorite color. I think you probably could have guessed that after I mentioned the pink poodle that she owned. She eventually purchased a home that she called the Pink Palace in 1957 with some inheritance money. It was painted pink with pink floors, a fountain with pink champagne flowing out of it, and a heart-shaped pink bathtub that was built by Mickey. Unlike her first husband, Paul, Mickey loved the spotlight and these two were very fond of publicity stunts and crashing a lot of Hollywood parties. And people could not take their eyes off this stunning pair. When they were in public, Mickey loved to lift Jane high above his head, drawing even more attention to the two. And the press ate it up. And these two were madly in love, and they didn't mind showing it. The couple had started a family with sons Miklos and Zoltan, but sometimes the publicity wasn't always good or intentional. In February of 1962, the couple were on a boat with a friend when it capsized, and they were stranded for over 20 hours on a coral reef before being rescued. The press was all over it, but from the pictures, it's very apparent that this was one time they did not want the attention. But as so happens with love, it doesn't always last. And so it didn't with Jane and Mickey. Jane had a very well-publicized affair with an Italian producer, which caused a lot of stress on her marriage. In 1963, there were rumors of her relationship with singer Nelson Sardelli, too. Finally, in May, the couple divorced. Although later on in life they were friendly with each other, during this divorce, Jane accused Mickey of kidnapping her kids. And after the divorce, Jane realized she was pregnant. Daughter Marushka was born on January 23, 1964. Marushka means Mary in Hungarian. And she's named after Mary Magdalene. Almost a strange reference to another unwed mother. Jane and Mickey told the press they were still married to avoid any kind of scandal. Marushka went on to acting... I'm sure her name sounds familiar because she stars on the long-running TV show Law & Order Special Victims Unit. Jane's popularity and love life started to take a turn for the worse. Her third marriage was to Italian film director Matt Zimber. They met when he directed her in a stage production of Bus Stop, another Marilyn Monroe movie. But the marriage was fraught with fighting and lots of abuse. Jane wasn't doing as much film so she was drinking a lot more, which led to an alcohol problem. Mickey was certainly not a fan of his ex's new husband or his attitude either. The men were actually photographed fighting physically in public. The couple had one child together, a boy named Antonio Raphael, and Simber later remarried and raised the child with his new wife. So now we get to the year 1966, and it was not a good year for Mansfield. By this time, she wasn't doing much film or stage. Instead, she was doing a sort of traveling burlesque show. She'd had three failed marriages and five children. And she'd started a relationship with her lawyer, Sam Brody. And this guy was even more abusive than her last husband. 
By this time, Jane Marie was a teen and had accused Sam Birdie of beating her. She actually went to the police and the court gave custody. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Give Jane Marie to Paul's aunt and uncle. In 1966, Jane would meet and become closely involved with her most controversial male companion, the Church of Satan founder, Anton LaVey. But before I go into their friendship... I'm going to give you a little bit of background on LaVey. So Anton Zandor LaVey was born Howard Stanton Levy on April 30th, 1930 in Chicago, Illinois. His Russian parents had immigrated to the U.S. in 1893. Shortly after his birth, the family moved to San Francisco area. And at age 16, Anton left school to join the circus. He started a career on the circus-slash-carnival circuit, first as a cage boy with lions and then as a musician. However, this last part is disputed, most notably by journalist Lawrence Wright. LeVay also claimed to have had an affair with an unknown Marilyn Monroe when he worked at the Mayan Theater as a keyboardist and organist. That, too, is widely disputed. LeVay moved back to the Bay Area, where he became somewhat of a local celebrity due to the very well-attended wild parties that he threw. He ended up forming a group called the Order of the Trapezoid, which then became the Church of Satan. So it was a belief system that was described as a mix of religion, philosophy, carnival, mythology, fringe belief, and indulgence. One of the members of the Order of the Trapezoid suggested that he start a religion. So on Walpurgis Night, or Witches' Night, April 30th, 1966, LeVay shaved his head and, quote, the tradition of ancient executioners, and founded the Church of Satan. He declared that 1966 was year one, the first year of Satan. In truth, he had actually lost a bet and he made up the story about why he shaved his head. See, LeVay was a lot like Mansfield. These were both 
extravagant show people. They loved attention and they were very skilled at knowing how to get it. I'm kind of quite envious of that. I'm a horrible self-promoter. LeVay loved performing satanic weddings and baptisms for publicity. In fact, his first baptism was his three-year-old daughter, Zena's. But many consider him a huckster and not legitimate. In my opinion, I think he was an extravagant showman, but he probably did believe a lot of what he represented. I think because he would dress like a cartoon devil wearing capes and horns made him not be taken seriously later on. But I can't speak for Satanists, so tell me what you think, Satanist. Many people think the Satanic Bible is just a mishmash of H.P. Lovecraft, John D., Ragnar Redbeard's Might is Right, Nietzsche, and Ayn Rand. He admittedly used excerpts from the Might is Right, saying he wanted to immortalize a writer who had profoundly reached him. Now, if you go into it, there are many different accounts as to how LaVey and Mansfield met. A popular one is that she left a film festival and showed up uninvited to one of his parties at his home, the Black House, named for it being painted black. Regardless of how they met, it was obvious that they both saw their friendship as a very brilliant publicity stunt. Even though Jane wasn't as popular as she once was, she was still a big name. When the Beatles were asked who they wanted to meet, they said Jane Mansfield. The match of Mansfield and LaVey was a win-win for each of them. Anton LaVey gave Jane and Sam Brody a very special tour of his home. Apparently, Sam Brody was not a fan, and he openly laughed at LaVey. He supposedly lit a skull candle on an altar, and this is where this big curse comes into play. LaVey told him he shouldn't have done that since that candle was used in curses, and he could not say what would happen because of Brody's fooling around with it. It's rumored that LaVey purposely cursed Brody, and said that he would be killed within one year. LaVey claimed that Jane was a high priestess in the Church of Satan, but whether this is true or not, the two did form a well-publicized friendship. She invited him to the Pink Palace, and he invited her and the kids back to the Black House. One incentive was to see his 500-pound pet lion, Togare. LaVey and his wife, Diane, said that Togare slept in their bedroom with them in the bed, being a former lion tamer, LeVay kept the lion as a pet. But Sam Birdie did not want to return to LeVay's home. So this may provide some legitimacy to the rumors that Jane was very dependent on Anton LeVay's advice. LeVay's wife said at the time, Jane would call at all hours of the night asking to speak to my priest, my beast, wanting advice and guidance. So as an incentive to see a real lion and to keep Jane away from LaVey, Bertie arranged a trip to a place called Jungle Land Animal Park in Thousand Oaks, California for the whole family. This facility housed exotic animals used in Hollywood films, including MGM's Leo the Lion. It served as a private zoo slash training facility slash theme park. And during the private tour for the family, Jane's six-year-old son Zoltan wandered away from the group and he got too close to a chained lion. He was bit in the neck and the back of the head. The manager of Jungle Land, Roy Kabart, pried the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands to free the child. 
It took five surgeons who operated for five hours to save the child. He had a ruptured spleen and fragments of his skull had ruptured his brain. Jane called LeVay, desperate, and begged for help. The legend is that LeVay sped to the top of a mountain in his coroner's van, and once at the top, he performed a spell to save Zoltan. The child did miraculously recover. It truly is miraculous because for a while it was very touch and go. Zoltan had developed spinal meningitis, so it's amazing that he didn't die. And some say Jane became an even more devout follower of LeVay's after the spell supposedly saved her son. Afterward, Zoltan was awarded an out-of-court settlement for over $10,000 from the now-defunct jungle land. And just as an interesting side note about LeVay's pet lion, Togare. It wasn't feasible for him to keep the lion as a pet, of course, so he was adopted by the Birds actress, Tippi Hedren. She had started an animal sanctuary in the 70s. Togare fathered some cubs, one of which she named Billy. And that would be after exorcist author William Blatty, who was a very close friend of Hedron's. There was a documentary that I watched, and Hedron had to laugh about the coincidence of getting a line from a Satanist, whose cub gets named after an author of one of the most famous films to deal with exorcism. So now let's get back to this supposed curse on Sam Brody. According to many stories that I read, Jane was urged to keep away from him. And I'm sure it wasn't just this curse either, because he sounded like a really bad guy, especially if he was abusive to Jane and her children. There was a mention in several different places that I read of Brody having something like six different car accidents prior to the fatal one. But I couldn't find any specific details, so I'm not sure if this is true or not. But six accidents is a red flag of a possible curse, right? Regardless of whether there were previous car accidents, Jane stayed with Brody. LeVay flat out said after her death that Brody was blackmailing her, but he didn't elaborate on that. It's clear that it was a very unhealthy relationship. And the sad reality is that it's just not easy to leave a bad relationship like that. Jane was due to perform at the Gus Stevens Club in Biloxi, Missouri, June 23rd through July 4th in 1967. To get to the club, Gus Stevens hired his soon-to-be son-in-law, 20-year-old Ronnie Harrison, drive his 1966 Buick Electra. In the car were Jane, Sam Brody, and Harrison in the front, while Zotan, Mickey Jr., and Marishka slept in the back. The group only stopped once for dinner, and they ate at the diner of the White Kitchen. They were traveling on Highway 90 between New Orleans and Slidell, which is a very dangerous winding road. Because of its very close proximity to Lake Pontchartrain and the fog that it caused, one part of the road was dubbed Dead Man's Curve. Even so, Ronnie was chugging right along. He was pretty confident in his driving skills. So let me set the scene. Ronnie is going at a good clip on Highway 90. And at the same time, this is around 2.15 a.m., there was a truck dispensing a mosquito fogger mist. So the mosquito fogger truck was passing a tractor trailer that was going about 35 miles an hour on the left-hand side of the road. Ronnie comes upon this. He doesn't see the truck due to the mist 
and he drove straight into the back of it. The car went directly under the truck's back wheels. Ronnie, Jane, Sam, and the chihuahua that she had with her were all instantly killed. Richard Rambo, the trailer truck driver, said that he got out and he pulled Jane and the kids from the car for fear that it would catch fire. But he said he was unable to get to the men. And the big rumor that went around was that Jane was decapitated in the accident. But actually, no one was decapitated. Jane had a crushed skull. And that rumor may have begun when pictures circulated revealing chunks of blonde hair by the side of the car. However, it wasn't her scalp or head, but most likely a hair piece. This was the late 60s, and many women wore what were called falls to add height to their hair. What essentially happened was the three adults were knocked forward with such force that they bashed their heads into the truck. All three of them suffered crushed skulls. And somehow, the children in the back all survived. It's crazy. If you see pictures of the car, it's a mangled mess. So how anyone got out of that car alive is really hard to believe. Another rumor that spread was that during the time of the crash, Anton LaVey was cutting a picture of Marilyn Monroe out of the newspaper. And he turned the picture over to notice that Jane's picture was on the other side. The next moment, the phone rang with someone notifying him of Jane's death. LaVey dropped the picture in horror, realizing that his scissors had effectively cut Jane's head off in the picture. I think this story is total urban legend, though. LaVey was given the remains of Jane's dead chihuahua, which he stuffed and mounted, and it's on display in the Museum of Death in Hollywood. One good thing somehow did come from this accident. The Dot Bar, also known as the Mansfield Bar. After the accident, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration made it mandatory for all semi-trucks to have an under-ride bar hang from the back of their cargo area. It's designed to prevent a car from going underneath the back of a truck. Look the next time you're on the highway. That red and white bar is there because of Jane Mansfield. And the car made its way around the country with no one really wanting to keep it for fear of it being cursed. A fan kept it in his garage for years. The death car then made its way around the country as somewhat of a sideshow attraction. You could pay a fee to see the car up close, which is pretty gruesome considering there were still bloodstains on the upholstery. After that, it went to a history museum in Florida before being sold at an auction to a private collector. Jane was buried in Plainview, Pennsylvania with a heart-shaped tombstone, and the kids were sent to live with Mickey. LaVey was quoted as taking credit for the curse, insisting Jane had asked him to curse Brody because he was blackmailing her. He said she brought about her own demise, but it wasn't through what I had done to curse her. The curse that she had asked me to cast was directed at him, and it was a very magnificent curse. LaVey died in 1997, and Mickey Hargitay passed away in 2006 due to myeloma. He'd remarried in 1967 to a lady named Ellen Ciano, and they were together for 39 years until his death. And Marishka, of course, went on to become a very accomplished actress. A friend of her mother's once told her 
that if she wanted to see her mother, she could just look in the mirror. So that was the death of Jane Mansfield. I hope I dispelled a lot of the misinformation that's out there about her. And I think she was really one of a kind. And it's a shame that she suffered such misfortune in her life. I think she really would have found her stride after her rough time in the late 60s. So if you haven't seen any of her movies, just watch one. I think my favorite is Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter. And you just cannot take your eyes off of her. She was mesmerizing. And she had really great comedic timing. I mean, she could have been like the next Lucille Ball. Thanks for sticking around for episode 50, and I hope there's many more in the future. So keep those ideas coming for me. I always look at them and have a long list. Email or hit me up on social media. Thanks a lot for listening and catch you guys next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.